Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. It is June 27th and just got done watching uh, the MXGP of Matterway Basin. Been there before. Went to Motocross Nations there. What was that? 2018? 2017? I don't remember when that was. Uh, but pretty miserable experience if I'm being honest. We, I mean, we have a good time. You know, everybody's kind of broing down and you go to you know, eat all your meals with all these people you don't get to see very often. And, uh, Steve Mathis and I get to spend a lot of time together and, and, uh, yeah, just, it's a lot of, a lot of hanging out and you get to go visit these foreign countries. And for those of you who have never been to a motocross of nations, the atmosphere is unlike any other there, there just is no race that rivals a motocross of nations, uh, in a foreign country, but the weather was brutal at that race. And of course, what would Matterway Basin be without more rain today? Now, thankfully, it wasn't very muddy, but it did rain most of the afternoon, just not very hard. It was just kind of a kind of a soft drizzle mist that didn't do a lot of damage to the track. I'm sure it was a little icy in a few spots, but when you're talking about inclement weather at Matterway Basin, I feel like we got uh, we got pretty lucky. I do want to thank the sponsors of this podcast before we get too far: Pirelli Tires, ProGlow Wash, Plum Creek Funding. Guts Racing, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, Blends All Oils, 612 Suspension, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. So as for Matterly, let's talk about the uh, the MX2 class a little bit. I guess the uh, the big news had to be that Vial Tombial, your world champion MX2 rider defending champ and points leader, wasn't able to race. He had an incident with another rider on Wednesday as they were practicing for this very race. I heard, this is just a rumor, I heard it was Rowan van de Moestijk. I don't know that that's factual, so I probably shouldn't even be mentioning it. That's just a rumor, and uh, regardless of who it was, they hit head-on. Uh, I think Tom was doing a moto, and that rider happened to be practicing a start. Their lines uh, converged, and yeah. Tom was left in it with an injury that had him sitting out the weekend. So hopefully we see him back for Majora and maybe this would be the best thing that could have happened to the class because I really believe that Tom was going to run away with this thing. And now if you put him in a big points hole, it kind of turns the series upside down as far as him having to work his way through the pack. And it's just not a foregone conclusion that he would be your two-time defending champ. So we'll see, but as long as he's okay, which, you know, of course I want him to be healthy. Maybe it's going to bring us the best and most suspenseful series possible. Uh, I think we have to mention Ruben Fernandez right off the top as well. I mean, what a series for that guy. 
you know, he's from Spain. Not everybody knows a ton about him. You know, I've been following him for quite a while, and usually the only thoughts I had about him were just kind of how out of control and scary he was to watch. Just a lot of a lot of chaos in his his racecraft, and I don't know what it is about Latin riders, whether it's South America, Central America, um, Spain. I guess doesn't always transfer to Spain because Jorge Prado is kind of the opposite of that, but man, it's just, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or just, uh, or, or what the, the nuance is, but man, they ride with a lot of passion and a lot of enthusiasm, but it's, it's chaotic at times. And it's a little scary to be a competitor of theirs. I've just had a lot of experience racing against, uh, you know, Spanish speaking Latino based riders and not always my favorite, but I do give them credit for, uh, how much energy and effort and again, enthusiasm that they, they put into their racing. And I think Fernandez really has that in a nutshell. You can just see how, how energetic he is and the body English that he's putting into it. I mean, he is giving it everything he's got and now he's got the red plate. So congratulations to him. I don't think that anybody was really expecting that to see after two rounds to see him leading the MX2 world championship. That is just not, uh, (laughs) let's just say that if you were a betting man and you would put money on that, you would have, uh, you would have cashed in rather nicely. So congrats to him. Congrats to Honda one, one, four motorsports. And, uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. But, uh, regardless, great effort from him through two rounds, Maxime Renault, nice job. I mean, he wins a race. He was a rider that, uh, Kellen Brower and Steve Mathis and I talked about, I kind of expected him to be winning, and I didn't really know what to make of his race in Russia. I, I thought it was pretty underwhelming. So this was much more in line with what I expected. And I don't think he would have beat Tom Vial today. I'll be up front with that. But I thought he would be a weekend, week out podium guy. And he kind of showed that form today. I think some of the sand races will be a little tougher for him. You know, the, the French based riders seem to ride the hard pack uh, much better. And you see that with Vial as well. Uh, Renault the same. I think Boirame will be the same, but that doesn't mean that they can't be in podium contention at those rounds. I just think that these rounds favor their style and favor their background and the tracks that they grew up on. Speaking of Boirame, uh, man, he he has this tendency to make mistakes, but as a whole and conceptually, I think that's the MX2 class altogether. You know, you're talking about riders that are. 22, 23 years old and under, you know, you have a lot of 17, 18, 19 year olds in this class that have just moved out of EMX 250. So there's, you know, it's a lot of an experience and youthful exuberance guys that are willing to push way past the limit of where they should, but that's, that's a part of the, the growing up process. And they're going to, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to do dumb things and they're going to learn from it. And it's going to make them, you know, into the MXGP riders that they will become. But I think it's really important for these guys to try to limit those mistakes because as we just saw with uh, Tom Vial's injury, we've seen that with uh, Yago Geertz that we'll get to, the series is wide open. The door has been blown off the hinges as far as what's possible. So you really need to make smart decisions, try to get as many points as possible, and don't do anything stupid to eliminate yourself from contention because through two rounds, look at how crazy it's been. We've had you know, everything possible happened to the contenders up front. So again, just because you really weren't considering the championship, look at Ruben Fernandez. I don't think he was thinking championship going into the season. I could be completely wrong there, but 
he's leading the championship. So point being, I think some of these young guys that were maybe like, screw it, I'm just going to go try to win every time out because I'm dealing with some experienced guys that are probably going to run away with the championship. Well, all that's changed now. And what seemed impossible may be possible now. So we'll see how that all plays out. But I just think there, if you have some smart people in your corner, you know, let's, let's uh, say for FNH Kawasaki uh, or any, any of the guys that were kind of on the fringe talk of winning the championship, I think that that narrative needs to be inserted as like, hey, if you're not having a good day and things aren't coming together, just do the best you can. Make sure that you maximize the points on a tough day and minimize the damage and let's get out of here because look at how everything else is going for these other guys. Don't lose the championship today by pushing the envelope if it's just not coming to you. If things aren't happening for you, don't blow it. Speaking of that, there's Yago Geertz, who I think has effectively blown it. You know, he, he is dealing with a big knee injury and I think that's your X factor. You know, that's the impetus for all these things that are happening, uh, through two rounds, but that's part of it. You have to stay healthy. You know, you can't do anything stupid at warm up races and you need to, you need to be a hundred percent when the real series starts and he's just not there. And when you talk about Geertz, it's a guy who's been battling for race wins and has been in the championship conversation for several years now. You know, he, he was up against the likes of Jorge Prado, and then Tom Vial, but he was able to win even back then. He was able to best Jorge Prado on some days. And now you're into a series where I think he should be absolutely on the podium every single moto. And he should be, if not a championship favorite, he should be on par with Tom Vial. Those should be your two guys. And he's just not there. And, and I'm sure it's the injury, right? Maybe he gets healthy for Oss. And when we get into Wommel and the tracks that he's going to be much stronger at, but maybe not even then, like who, who knows how bad his knee truly is. And is he able to train and practice through the week or is he just on a, you know, recovery and rehab, uh, protocol through the week that you don't really improve, right? You're just trying to maintain where everybody else is trying to get better week in and week out where you're just trying to hold the same form and clearly the same form is not good enough. So I don't have any answers for Geertz. It's just, it's got to be incredibly frustrating for him and his team because you know what he's capable of, and he could have already uh, he could have already won motos, in my opinion, at this point of the series. So as for MXGP, I mean, Tony Cairoli, unbelievable. That was in, that was awesome, and I'm starting with him because he wins the overall. He wins that first moto in Renaissance fashion, really, going back a couple of years ago when he. He blew his knee out trying to battle Tim Geiser for this very championship. That's the form he's on right now. And okay, yeah, he wasn't quite good enough to to get that second moto victory towards the end of the moto. Febra and Geiser were able to ride away from him. But you wonder a little bit, was he willing to take big chances knowing he had the overall classification victory in hand? And that's that would be my opinion, is that if he absolutely had to take more chances, he would have. You saw how... <laughs> how willing he was to put it on the line. He almost crashed his brains out passing Jorge Prado. So I don't think it was an issue of he didn't have anything left. I just think he was able to read the pit board, understand the situation and know that winning a a Grand Prix after you haven't won one for quite a while, it's it's been a hot minute. And in this class, you never can assume when another one's coming. 
I think he just did the smart thing and backed it off. You know, he, he had a nice gap over Jeffrey Hurlings. He didn't have to do anything stupid. And when you look at the pace that the top two were willing to push to in the last couple of laps, I think he did the right thing. I think he understood that when you have a guy like Fevra who's willing to push the envelope and Geiser who clearly has, he knows no boundaries right now. I don't think going up there and try to battle them was necessarily the wisest decision. And you don't win nine world titles by making bad decisions. So I think he, you know, swallowed his pride a little bit, uh, understood that uh, all he had to do was just bring this thing home and live to fight another day. So I couldn't have been more happy. I'm a huge Tony Cairoli fan. Uh, that is just awesome. You're talking about a guy who's, I don't know, 34, 35 years old, whatever he is, to go out there and win, especially with the depth of this series right now when those guys are riding on their best form. Okay, maybe not Hurlings. We'll talk about him. But the rest of the guys, I mean, they're clicking and they're firing on all cylinders. And for Tony to best them, great job. Uh, what, what else can you really say? Uh, just a really heartwarming victory for Tony Cairoli. Tim Geiser retains your red plate. Still has a nice lead. I think 15 points, something like that. And a really solid day. The first moto, you could just kind of tell he was a touch off. And you never really know if it's bike settings or maybe just wasn't feeling it. Couldn't find a way around Jeffrey Hurlings. And you know he's got to always think a little bit more when he's behind Hurlings because he's, you know, one of the most iconic riders in the sport. So you, you just never really know. I, I don't know if he'll be forthcoming with, with what was going on in the first moto, but he just didn't seem to have the speed he wanted and the form he wanted. So I, I commend him for willing to be being willing to, you know, sacrifice and, and maybe lose a few points there instead of pushing past his comfort zone or, you know, trying to take too many chances with arm pump or whatever the issue was, uh, you just, sometimes you just have to settle and you have to take what is given to you. You know, every moto, and you're talking about a 20 race series or whatever this is, 19 rounds or whatever the, the total number ends up being, you just have to take what's given to you and race what's in front of you sometimes. And every moto is not going to be perfect. And you think about, you know, 36, 38, 40 motos, that's okay. You know, just... If your bad moto is a, you know, a fifth or a sixth or a seventh or whatever, so what? That's fine. Crashing and flipping your, yourself down the racetrack and losing a ton of points is what you're trying to avoid at all costs. And you could really see in the second moto when he was feeling it, when he had made bike adjustments or when he didn't have arm pump or whatever that underlying issue in the first moto was, when you're able to remove that, you can see what he's capable of. And he's won three out of four motos now. So... I, I really think it was a a sign of his maturity and a sign of his experience is you don't have to win every single moto. You don't have to worry about losing your confidence or, you know, transferring any momentum to anyone else. Just come out in the second moto, fix the problem, adjust whatever needs to be adjusted and, and make it happen. And his ability to pass Roman Fevre on the outside a few times at the end of that second moto, listen, there just aren't many people who can do that. You know, Ken Roxon, you want to talk about worldwide. There are guys that can do it, Eli Tomac, but that's a very rare air of being able to carry that much momentum around a guy who's in the zone. You know, Roman Febra was, he was pinning it. It's not like Febra made a big mistake and, and gave it up. I mean, Geister had to cover much more racetrack and then ride around the outside of someone who knows you're trying to make a move. You know, Febra is pushing harder through the section because he can hear Geiser railing around the outside. So it's, 
it's doubly hard in that scenario to make the move. And it just didn't seem to phase Geiser at all. And I really think that Geiser is just willing to go to a place speed wise and risk wise that others aren't. And that's a, that's a result of confidence. That's a result in having the bike, uh, exactly where you want it, where you're able to predict its movements and you don't expect anything erratic. And you, and you've really seen that for the second year in a row. Now Geiser has just really taken, you know, steps forward. And I don't see anyone that's capable of beating him consistently at the moment. You're going to have motos where, you know, things come together for other people. First moto wasn't great. You know, a few people beat him, of course, but when he's on, he looks to be the best guy in the series. Now the concern with Geiser is always when, when, and if he's going to crash because he's done that over the course of his career way too many times. He hasn't done it yet. He seems like he's removed it from his game, but I'm always kind of have sitting there with uh, bated breath because we've just seen it so much from him. And the question I, I, I'm wondering now is, have they taken that irregularity and that tendency to crash out of Geiser's game with the bike? You know, has the 21 Honda, and I guess it would be, he's probably on more of like a 22 now. And last year he was on the 21, but clearly the bike is working better for him. It seems like he trusts it more and the bike responds with more predictable results. He's not having the big crash, which is, you know, people fall over, stuff like that happens. And that's always going to be a part of racing, but the huge incidents where it seems like it catches him out, he's not expecting it. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, he's flipping down a straightaway at 30 miles an hour. Those are the ones that get you hurt. And those are the ones that are championship ending. And we're not seeing that. So I don't have the answers. Uh, I'm going to try to ask around when I'm in Italy next weekend and just see what the consensus is. But I have a feeling that it's, it's the bike. I, I think they've taken steps forward with the bike that have given him more stability and more predictability. And, it, and it's re- reducing the chances of that crash. It doesn't mean it can't happen, right? When you crash that much, you're probably going to get something before it's all over. But the likelihood and the chances of the crash seem to meet much less. So I'll try to report back on that, but that's just what I'm seeing from the outside. I just want to do a little bit of digging and see what, uh, see what I come up with. Jeffrey Hurlings, you know, I've had a few texts from people and messages that, you know, he's, he's kind of just lost the edge right now. And I think that's probably true, but I need to give him credit here for being patient because whatever's going on, you know, maybe he's just not comfortable pushing the edge yet. And he's, as I mentioned with other riders, just letting things come to you and race what's in front of you. Don't take chances if everything's not working. If you're not feeling comfortable, don't push the edge because that only, that's only going to end in tears. And this is way too long of a series to try to force anything. So when Hurlings is getting past, you know, he sees Cairoli riding in front of, riding away from him and he sees the lead pack. He sees Geiser and these guys pulling away for him to not panic and do anything stupid to me speaks volumes about the patience and experience and maturity that he's showing. I really like to see that. And, and I understand it's easy for Hurlings fans to get upset and say, but that's not Jeffrey Hurlings. He needs to be winning. He needs to be the fastest guy, blah, blah, blah. I, I get it. Right. And, and I'm sure he does too. I'm sure deep down it's infuriating for, to him to let these guys ride away from him. That's not who Jeffrey Hurlings is, but at the same time, when you've crashed your way out of championship after championship, don't you think maybe you need to change your approach a little bit and wait, just be patient. 
the races where you're going to have an edge, Oss, Wommel, uh, you know, anything in the sand, even Kegums, these tracks, Mantova, they're going to suit your style much more than the tracks you're on right now. Don't do anything stupid that is going to preclude your chances when you get to tracks that work for you because all of these results right now can be wiped away with just a couple of wins. And I, and I think you're going to see him win when you get, when he gets to tracks that he's ridden a million times and he's super comfortable on, we all know how dangerous he is in the sand. All this can be completely eradicated with a couple of good days, but you have to stay calm. You can't freak out and push the edge too much when it's not there. And, and I'm sure he's trying as hard as he can, but I love to see him be willing to settle for a result if that's all there is. Because some days you're only going to be so good and things aren't going to come together and it's not your best track and you have to be willing to accept the points that are there. And, I, and I've said that for a few different guys. I, I said that for guys who are in the first moto, but it's, it's absolutely true. There are going to be motos where things don't come together and we're talking about a series that is going to go all the way till December. Now we're assuming that races in Bali and Argentina and all these things are going to happen, but that's what's on the schedule. So that's what we have to plan for. That's so long from now. Think about that. We're going to be talking about what are we doing for Christmas? And you're going to be out Christmas shopping when I'm still on this podcast talking about this very series. So to draw conclusions, to get too excited or too worked up about results right now, to me seems very foolish. There's just too much racing left to go. There's going to be injuries. We know that's going to happen. We don't know who, but guys will get hurt. The field will get thinner. The countries are going to change. The tracks are going to change. The soil is going to change. The trends are going to change. Guys that come out of the box screaming right now with pace are going to lose all that because that's just the nature of how these series go. It's incredibly difficult to hold the same form for six or seven months straight. That just doesn't happen. And I've watched it happen in Supercross Lucas Oil Promoter Cross, MXGP. I mean, look at Glenn Koldenhoff over the years. He, I don't want to say sucks at the beginning of a series. That's not fair. But when you look at his results at the beginning of a series to the end of a series, he's a totally different rider. You know, go back to 2018, 2019. He was winning more motos than not at the end of, you know, every series. And at the beginning of that series, you look back at the results and he was just hanging around inside the top 10. That's the ebb and flow of a series that lasts five, six, seven, eight months. That's just how these things go. So again, don't freak out about what you're seeing now, because I promise you, just like the weather, things are going to change. Everything we think we know right now, the conclusions that we're trying to make, and we're just going to say, yep, that's fact. Well, guess what? Those facts will change as we move through the summer into fall and we head towards winter. So just something to keep in mind. I, I really don't think that you can even know what the series is going to look like in a few months because it's just too long of a series and too many things happen, right? Perfect case in point, Tom Vial leaving Russia, everyone to a man, including myself, had completely handed this championship trophy to Tom Vial. He was just, he's your champ. He was dominant. Everything looked to be clicking. I didn't really see a way for anybody to challenge him. And then guess what? He runs into somebody head on at a practice track on a Wednesday and everything changes. That's just how this thing can go. So with this many races left, I am not assigning any, I'm not, I'm not declaring victory or defeat for anyone. 
And just because Jeffrey Hurlings has had a, a couple of so-so rounds doesn't mean that he's not going to be your champion. It doesn't mean he will either, but I'm not willing to hand out any trophies yet. Uh, Jeremy Sewer, kind of hanging around. And this is a guy that he, I think he gets stronger towards the end, end of a series as well. And he's doing the smart thing. He's taking what's, what's there. He's not, you know, throwing races away. He's not getting much TV time. So if you're not paying attention, you probably don't see him, but he will be there. He's going to have good races and good motos. It's just a matter of time. Jorge Prado, great first moto, but I don't know what to make of that second moto. Was it arm pump? Was it a goggle issue? Was it a bike issue? We don't, we don't know, right? When you have rain and all these things, you just don't know. I'm sure he'll, he'll give us some sort of insight as to what was, what was going on there. But, you know, kind of a, a unlikely result there. You know, he faded back. Uh, even Jonas got him at the end of that second moto. So that tells me with a fade like that, that something was up. And, and it could be a myriad of different things. But I don't believe personally that, just everything was fine. Everything was good to go. And he ended up seventh when he started up front. I, I just don't believe that to be the case. So try to, I'll try to get some information and, and find out and report back. Jonas, as I mentioned just now, uh, not bad, right? To move forward, to get into sixth in that second moto is pretty good. It wasn't the third place that he got in Russia, of course. But I, I think it's really key for him to stay healthy and to prove himself as a top five threat all year long. Because he's on factory, uh, you know, standing construct gas gas, which is a great ride, great equipment, but he needs to establish himself as one of the elite in this class. And moving forward, he's one of the younger guys, but I think he's in a critical juncture here where if he, if he gets hurt again, or he's not able to sustain this, then people are going to start to wonder if he's going to make it. And I use air quotes around the word, make it. But this is just a really, really important time for him. And he's, he's doing the right things. All he has to do is just continue to do what he's doing, be in that mix, right? And, and really for him, as long as he looks around and everybody he sees is a past world champ or a factory rider, then you're doing what you need to do. You know, you look up and you see Geiser and Febra and Cairoli and Hurlings and Sewer and all that. That's great. You're doing exactly what is asked of you and you're living up to the nature of your contract. That, so... Uh, I don't really think it's anything to worry about. I think he's actually doing exactly what he needs to do. Stay healthy is probably the the, uh, the biggest factor there. So that's kind of it for today. Super short one. I almost didn't do one, but uh, man, the, the racing was so damn good today. And I know you guys probably want podcasts to listen to with uh, with no Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Racing. I have not watched MotoGP yet. Probably going to do that right after I finish this podcast. Excited to see that, uh, you know, Mark Marquez has had a tough weekend thus far. Uh, they are in Assen, which many of you will know was the site of motocross of nations two years ago, the last motocross of nations we had. And it's, uh, it's called the cathedral of speed. It's Valentino Rossi's best track. So we'll see if he's got anything for these guys today, but I'm a huge Mark Marquez fan and, and man, it just hasn't gone well this weekend. So we'll see if he can turn things around uh, hopefully, uh, it stays dry. This race is notorious for rain. I think when I was there for motocross the nations, it may have rained the entire time. I'm trying to think of a moment, uh, maybe on Saturday for about 15 minutes, it wasn't raining, but the rest of the weekend it rained. So, you know, it's in the Northern part of the Netherlands. It's very close to, uh, the seafront there. And you just get all this nasty weather coming off of, uh, I'm trying to think what body of water that would be. I should know that. 
Uh, but you just get all this nasty weather coming off the water and it's not like hard rain, like Florida thunderstorms. It's just this misty, almost like a lakeshore effect rain. Um, and the weather's pretty miserable. So hopefully it stays dry. But again, I'm talking about a race I haven't even watched yet. But anyway, for next weekend, I do a Patreon podcast that is uh, patreon.com slash industry seating. That's every race day morning. So I will be doing that before the MXGP of Majora from Italy next Sunday morning. So check that out if you are interested. And then of course I do those every race day morning for Lucas Oil Pro Motocross and Supercross. So I'll be doing two next weekend, actually. I'll do Red Bud on Saturday, and then I'll do Majora on Sunday morning. So two Patreon podcasts, it does cost a few bucks. I understand if that's a, you know, that's a barrier of entry for you guys, no problem, but I just want to throw that out there. But again, thanks to all the sponsors. I really appreciate them. Uh, couldn't do this podcast without them. Run through those guys really quickly again. Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, Blenzol Oils, Works Connection. Use the promo code JT21 over there. Premier Vapor Blasting, 612 Suspension, Grant Stone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, and Fly Racing. And there are promo codes for, the, for most of those sponsors. So if you have questions or, you, or just a general question or you want the promo code, please reach out and uh, I'll be happy to provide that. So we'll talk to you next weekend. I will be coming live from uh, my hotels in Milan. So I'll be recording from Milan and we'll talk to you then. See you.